Welcome to Photo Geek Weekly, episode 126, recorded on October 15th of 2020, uh, the Photo Geek Show, where I'm your host, Don Kamarechka, and we geek out about photo stuff on a weekly basis. Uh, it's a pretty solid formula that we've been doing now for 126 episodes, uh, 124 of them now. The first two I was solo, and I think that was a mistake. Um, but ever since the third episode, I've always had a guest on to bounce ideas off of and uh, receive their opinions on as we continue to go through the stories of the Newsweek, the geekiest ones that we can, filled with technology and ethics and legal and just the the finger on the pulse of the photo industry. And with me today uh, to really uh, understand these topics, and there's a lot to understand, uh, is Steve Brazel. Steve, uh, you are my favorite guest to have on the show, or I shouldn't say that. You are my most frequent guest. I don't want to disadvantage anybody else that I also enjoy their opinions of. But there's a reason why I have you on this show. And we'll get to that. But how are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. I Literally, you and I have talked about this off, off mic, but I love doing this show because it's so different than what I normally do in my show. And uh, it's nice to dive down deep and talk about geek stuff because more than a photographer, I am a, an absolute geek. And talking about the pulse of the world and the industry and all the things that you meant in my pulse is still going is always so much fun with you. Well, and uh, and you bring the uh, the educated uh, technologist to the table here. I mean, you have a background in IT, so you're very up with latest technology. I am and secure- it. Uh, you are it. <laughs> Uh, but you are also a photographer and uh, you also have a great way of speaking. Uh, I mean, you are a radio, uh, you know, I guess the technical term is rock jock on uh, KCAL FM in, in, uh, in California. But um, uh, I don't want to go through your whole CV here. The thing is, <laughs> you, you are techie, you are a photographer and you know how to talk. So it's always great to have you on the show. People, when people say to me, what do you do for a living? And so this actually happened just the other day when we were on vacation, our driving vacation. Somebody said, what do you do for a living? I said, well, it depends what day you hit me. <laughs> yeah. If it's a Sunday morning, you're in a sound booth. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and, and during the week, you're, well, you're probably working a lot from home these days, right? And doing a lot I of I work virtual. mostly from home these days, but I have certain things with clients. You know, if, they're in, if their server goes down, I have to be on site or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, Hey, you know, that that's an emergency, uh, whenever that happens. And, you know, when my website goes down, um, I, I'm lucky I, I switched to a new host and, and I, I don't know if I can really promote them yet because they're not really officially open. Um, but a very good friend of mine all the way back to my high school years is one of the men behind it. And, um, and so they're still working through some bugs, but if I see my website down, I can say, Hey, um, uh, I, I, am not getting this email or, uh, I don't have uh, access to my FTP or one of my websites is throwing this strange error. Uh, and he's got full access to go and clean that up and, and do it all completely remotely and, and having a good it person, uh, close to you, I think is important. And Steve, you're one of those people. I've asked you a ton of it stuff, um, just in casual conversation. You've even helped me track down some copyright infringement cases based those on are your- fun. Uh, based on your sleuthing of what servers they happen to reside on. So I, I do appreciate you on every level. Well, thank you very much. Well, and uh, to to get into uh, the stories of the day, we got a big one here. And you now it's, it's big for reasons that a lot of people 
aren't going to focus on, but we will. Um, and that reported by DP Review, uh, although it's reported by every news outlet in the world. Yeah. Um, Reported Apple by unveiled, your grandmother. <laughs> yeah. Apple has unveiled uh, the 5G iPhone 12 Pro, 12 Pro Max devices with larger screens, better cameras, and more. And, um, and let me interject, also a 12 mini and a regular 12. Just sure, so that- it, that's, it's not in this particular article because I think right. we're going to more or less focus on the features in the Pro models. Uh, some of them are uh, groundbreaking, uh, quite literally. They offer new potentials that I don't think that we've seen in any other phone, and they offer the possibilities for us to to push forward with uh, augmented reality and uh, with better background manipulation and softening and image manipulation with some of the data that's now going to be available. Yeah. But let, let's start um, with uh, with some of the basics. So uh, let's talk about the cameras. Steve, there's three cameras on these devices, right? Yeah, well... Uh, on the pro models, yes, there's three cameras. There's the wide, the ultra wide, and the telephoto. And the telephoto varies, uh, I think, in the uh, the absolute focal length and the the wide, which is the one that you'd use regularly for uh, more up close stuff. Um, that is nearly the same on either model, except the pixel size is actually larger on the, uh, the the Pro Max versus the Pro. And it might seem trivial to think that the uh, the, the pixel size is like 1.4 microns on the on Pro. On the Pro, 1.7 microns on the Pro Max. On the Pro Max. That means that even if the sensors are the same resolution, um, the Pro Max has bigger pixels. And that uh, it could be better light detection, but it could also be a removal of diffraction and better image quality uh, during that process as well. Well, well so, and and you didn't mention light. Compared to the previous model, the iPhone 11 Pro Max, it's 87% more light, 47% larger on the sensor. So yeah, it, it's bigger and better than the previous models, of course. Uh, that seems to be a trend that Apple and pretty well everybody in the industry is doing, uh, for their flagship products at the very least. What bugs me, and I have to say this now before we get into all sorts of other stuff, um, is I want an iPhone uh, 12 Pro. Uh, and in fact, my, my red hydrogen is long in the tooth and, uh, no longer getting updates. And I even went back to see, um, how far back Apple is currently supporting iOS 14. And that goes back to the, uh, was it the 6S, I think is still a currently supported uh, piece of hardware. And that's five years old, a little bit over than five years old. Uh, so that's a good run for a phone in terms of constantly being up to date. And that would last it for another year of updates, assuming that iOS 15 comes out in 2021. Um, I want a device that stays secure and up to date. And from your IT perspective, that makes a lot of sense, especially when many Android devices, they kind of get dropped off after a certain period of time. You're basically guaranteed updates for two years in most cases. That's one of, you know, people talk about Android being less secure than iOS. Modern versions of Android are secure, mostly. If you use the Google Play Store, you're generally, you know, pretty much as secure. Not totally, in my opinion, but pretty close. The, the walled garden of Apple does help in that sense. But the the biggest security issue to me is the fragmentation of Apple makes iPhones. These seven companies make Android phones. 70 if you include all the small companies in India and China. And And so when a new version of Android comes out, you know, Samsung may have to then take that, wrap their own UI in it before. So you don't get it day of release usually, and you usually don't get it back as 
as far in the lineage. And that's where the security problems come into me. Exactly. And so I, I, I loved the uh, stereoscopic 3D display and 3D stuff on the hydrogen. We're not going to opine on that much, but that's why I went from Apple to Android because it was new and innovative. Right. And now I'm seeing a lot of new innovation in these new iPhones. And we're going to talk about stuff like the LiDAR sensor and, and what have you, which I want to talk about next. But yeah, that's I, the headline to me, by the way. Yeah, it, it is. Um, but, but I want, and call me selfish, I want the bigger cameras and lenses and sensors that are on the iPhone Pro Max on the Pro. I mean, call it a Pro Plus. Put put a model in between. Give me the best cameras on the slightly smaller body. And we should say that those bodies are bigger now. The screen size is uh, uh, 6.1 inches diagonally for the Pro and I believe 6.7 inches diagonally for the Pro Max. So we're getting up there in size. Um, you're going to go for the Pro Max, I think, right? Well... Yes, I'll go Pro Max, and I have an 11 Pro Max now. But here's the interesting thing, and the reason that it, it was important to me to say the iPhone 12 and the iPhone 12 mini were part of the, the four that were announced, because Apple did something unusual for Apple to me. The 12 and the 12 mini are exactly the same feature set. And they even said it during the presentation. Identical, it's the same. Just you just decide what size you want. And I've always argued the best differentiation is we're just offering you a killer phone. Pick your size. And in this particular case with the Pro and the Pro Max, it's we're offering you two very large phones, slightly different size, but there's also feature differences. And I don't, you know, as an example, you mentioned the 1.4 microns in the Pro, 1.7 microns in the Pro Max. Both are very, very good sizes. Okay. Don't misunderstand me. But there, to me, is no reason the Pro at its size could not have had the same sensor with 1.7 microns and the same tele. So the Pro Max has a tele lens that's f2.2, but it's 65 millimeters. The Pro is f2, which is great, but it's only 52 millimeters. And if I've got three lenses, I want that tele to be more towards the 65 Exactly. And, and I completely agree. And I wish that that was an option for me. It goes back, I think, to the 6S where they had the 6S Plus that had an image stabilizer built into the lens, an optical image stabilizer where the 6S did not, or it might have been the 6. I, I, I can't remember uh, my chronology perfectly, but they started to differentiate the products back then. And they've kind of kept that trend going. And I just wish that they would stop. Choose your size and get all the same features either way. And that would, uh, that would make me, again, if you put a third product in there, a Pro Plus, I'd buy it. I, I would pay the extra hundred bucks or whatever it is to have the better cameras. Uh, I did, in that but there's device. no reason to have another skew. They should have done it. It's same. You just brought up uh, optical image stabilization, which is another thing. The wide and the tellies all have the the same optical image stabilization that they've been using. Only the 12 Pro Max wide angle uses something they made a big deal about, but it's only one lens in one of the four models, and that's the sensor shift. Right. Well, and so uh, we'll see it continue to evolve. I really hope that when you get to the 13 or the, or they'll probably skip 13 for uh, superstitious reasons. So when oh, they get that, to the, that's interesting. Okay. Yeah. Hold on. Do you really think that they would do that? Uh, well, yeah. 
there are companies that have skipped uh, version four of products because it's superstitious in some countries. And, and the number four was, uh, was maybe going to result in fewer sales. So yeah, I, I don't know of any company that I can remember right now that has made a version 13 of something. They just always skip it. Yeah, that would be, that's kind of interesting. A couple other differences I wanted to bring out. And, and again, I need to preface this because this just kind of crossed my head. And that is, don't take this as me complaining if, if you're listening to this, right? I am, I am very happy with everything that they've done. I'm, I'm simply trying to point out that specifically to the Pro and the Pro Max. I wish it was like the, the iPhone 12 nothing and the mini that the only differentiation in anything with a Pro was the size and the price is my wish. But that said... The Pro gives you two-time optical zoom because of that 52 millimeter and a 10-time digital zoom. The Pro Max, and this these are the reasons I'm going Pro Max, 2.5 optical zoom because you go to 65 millimeters yep. and a 12-time digital zoom. And I'm hoping that the digital zoom on these phones looks pretty good because right now on some Android devices, it really, really does. Um, I think these are going to be super, super cool for photography. Well, and one of the reasons why, and I think it's the headlining feature, is that both of the pro cameras feature a LiDAR sensor. And um, uh, to describe to people that don't know what LiDAR is, I mean, it's being used in everything from surveying to artificial intelligence to automatic car driving stuff. And that's that's the analogy that I would use. It's, you know, just for, for simplification's sake, just think of it as radar, okay? And... When you see the automated cars driving around and the they've always got a pilot in them, there's no, you know, for security and safety, but you see all the hardware on the top of the car, that's a LIDAR system that's judging what's near it, where it's at, mapping the world out in 3D to decide, is it an object that I need to worry about? That's what LIDAR is. And generally in the iPhone, the LIDAR is put in there. And by the way, it started in the iPad Pro. LiDAR is designed in this use model for AR. So when you're doing AR on an iPhone and you want to reality, yeah, yeah, exactly. Augmented reality. And you want to hold your camera up and look at a room. And the example that they gave in the demo was these people that used Six Sigma modeling for a room and they would come in and they would build cardboard furniture to map out that room in the best workflow, right? So a time motion study in, in essence. Well, now using LiDAR, you can use AR on these devices. It can map out a room exactly depth with furniture in it, and you can place virtual furniture. That's what it's for. However, didn't see this one coming. I have very little interest in AR. I'm just not going to use it. Great. You put LiDAR on there, whatever. And then they said, LiDAR is going to be used, because think about it, it's not light sensitive, right? It's basically radar, is going to be used as focus assist in low light. That could be, we'll see, but that could be huge. Because if you can immediately focus at night, because it's not using the light that the camera sensor is detecting for focus, it's using the LiDAR sensor to detect where the focus should be. Right. And, and again, all of the algorithms designed, uh, and they're getting so good, to detect eyes and faces, 
they can't be applied in LIDAR, but you can at least detect a human form yep. um, and, uh, and, and take a photo based on that. So um, this LIDAR sensor, I mean, it could be great for games. I mean, sure, whatever the next version of Pokemon Go is going to be would probably benefit greatly from that to throw your virtual creatures all over the place. Um, and so from so many different facets, it's there. But for photography, focus in low light would be huge. But even beyond that, Think about all of the layers of data, the depth maps and the information that are right. being generated from the cameras to begin with. If LiDAR is another layer for that, you know, when my, my, my wife has an iPhone uh, 11 and uh, it, when you put it into the portrait mode, it does a good job. But like an example, if my daughter's on, on a swing and uh, it misrepresents the the rope of the swing and doesn't properly calculate that between the foreground and the background because it doesn't really know what it is and where it is from just the singular image. If you have LIDAR that can very specifically point to where it is in three-dimensional space right. as an additional layer of that technology, that LIDAR sensor takes the portrait mode of the iPhone and cranks it up to 12, I guess. It, it is. Well, and, and going off that portrait mode, I love portrait mode because period, I'm, I'm a whiskey fan. And periodically, I'll get an unusual bottle of whiskey, and I'll, I'll put the bottle and then like the glass slightly offset in front of it, and I'll try and do a portrait shot. But portrait mode can't sense the edge of the glass very well. So always there's a spot on the glass that's a little hair blurry, right? What LiDAR does is it sends out pulses of light waves, and then like radar, checks those bouncing off of those objects. So those things that are difficult... It's not even just improving portrait mode a little bit. Those things that are difficult for it to sense in a normal portrait mode that, as we know it now should be or could be, I should say, solved, not to mention the blur that you get when you do portrait mode that gives that lens depth of field effect could be also much more natural well, and adjustable. Uh uh, drink the whiskey and the edges of the glass might become blurry anyhow. That's um, true. That is true. <laughs> uh, as a brief aside, uh, what whiskey are you drinking now, Steve? Um, the one I mean, not like I, during the show. It's still earlier in the I day for get you. one if you want. No, uh, the one that I've been liking lately is called Noah's Mill. It was referred to me by somebody at the liquor store, uh, the owner of the liquor store, and I, I trust him because I've known him for decades. Uh, it's Noah's Mill. It's very strong. It is not cask strength. It's 114 proof. But really, really like it. Um, when I drove up north, photo Joseph, our friend, and, and uh, uh, Aunt Pruitt, our friend, I met with both of them uh, for a socially distanced type get together and actually took a bottle to each of them because I figured they would like it too. They're whiskey drinkers. And I think they did. Uh, I looked very, it up in my, uh, in my local LCBO, the uh, Liquor Control Board of Ontario, which controls what alcohol I'm allowed to consume because I have to buy it through them. Um, and they don't have it. So oh, I might it's, have to, it's, I might it's have to really you. good. It's what I consider the, the way I describe it to people is the dictionary definition of bourbon. It, it's got that kind of. Well, I've, I've got a bottle on order of uh, maker's mark 46, uh, which I think is supposed to be pretty good. So tell me, how you um, like it. all right, let, let's move on from whiskey and let's talk about Apple pro raw. <laughs> okay. Because this is, this is the next thing um, that 
I, I've wanted, when I saw all of the computational data that was going into the photos that oh, smartphones yeah. were capturing, but there was no way to encapsulate that in an end product that you could then re-manipulate as, as you would a raw file, right? right. Uh, because all of these separate layers cannot be contained in standard raw. So Apple has come out with Apple Pro Raw. Uh, not to be confused with Apple ProRes Raw, their video codec and stuff, but this is a new format that tries to Con, uh, uh, contain all of that information that goes into the final product, adjustable like a recipe, like you would with a raw file uh, in any standard. It is standard. a raw file. It, it is a raw. Well, yeah. I mean, if you look at what Canon did when you had the dual pixel raw on some of their camera models, um, so that was a, a raw uh, version that very few applications really embraced in any meaningful way because honestly, there wasn't a whole lot of meaning. You could shift your focus ever so slightly, but there wasn't a whole lot else you could do. Um, and it was exclusive to Canon and only specific models on that. So you're and you not going to get-, get to some of it in DPP. Exactly. Well, I mean, that's because that was one of the only uh, software platforms that truly supported yep. that uh, the Canon uh, Digital Photo Professional. But if Apple comes up with their proprietary RAW format that gives any iPhone developer uh, working on a product designed for the iPhone 12 Pros, um, and I'm not sure if Pro RAW, I don't think it's on the iPhone 12 and Mini. It's just it on is the Pro not. model. It is, right? it is the 12 and 12 Pro, uh, excuse me, it is the 12 Pro and the 12 Pro Max only. And Apple said during the presentation, third-party apps as well, which basically means just like, uh, you know, Canon comes out with a CR3, there is no reason, based on what I saw in that presentation, that a Lightroom or a Photoshop or Camera Raw or, or whatever, um, Capture One, could not implement camera support for Apple Pro Raw. Well, and, and I think that Apple is embracing it and creating a proper API and being very open about it towards the developers, which, um, you know, a lot of uh, camera manufacturers, uh, they, I know Nikon was really bad for this in the past, uh, making a lot of things proprietary, making people reverse engineer things. Um, but if if Apple is embracing that and embracing the app community, well, obviously, you're going to get Adobe that you know, embraces this uh, and, and the big guys, but all of the little guys will have the same access to that technology. Yep. And we might get some really, truly innovative software that can take all of that information and use it in ways. I don't know if LiDAR is going to be a part of it. I really hope that's an element in this pro raw. We, we've yet to see what it becomes. Um, and if that becomes something that is a cohesive uh, toolkit, then I am going to love playing with an editing all of my Apple Pro Raw images. So much so that if Apple supports it on the mobile platform, it's likely that they would support it on the desktop applications as well. In and in photos, it'll it'll most likely be supported in, I'm guessing even, Big Sur will support it in the Photos app. But what's interesting to me about Apple Pro Raw is, because keep in mind, Mac OS X has raw engines built in. On a Mac, if I select an image and I just hit the space bar, it does a quick preview of that image, even if it's an NEF file, even if it's a C those are all built into the OS and Apple Pro Raw will be. But you made a comment about in, in describing Pro Raw as it it takes all the things that Apple was doing to an image and makes them available in a raw sense. And, and that's one of the interesting things is what you're getting from an iPhone, and this is not just iOS, by the way, Android does this. 
what you're getting with computational photography, which was also interesting, they use that phrase, and I don't see that often at an Apple presentation. Computational photography on iOS specifically isn't an image, right? It's taking whatever it is, nine images, images for darkness, images for lightness, images for depth, images for focus. It's stacking those image. It's processing those images. It's sharpening those images. It's color correcting those images, et cetera, et cetera, <clears throat> all in real time. And what it's done in Apple Pro Raw is everything that's being done is now being done as an instruction set. So it takes all those images creates a single image from them, and then all the computational photography adjustments done to that master image- It's a recipe. Are now just effectively a sidecar, what we think of as a sidecar file. And that taps into the other reason that I think the 12 is going to be big. <clears throat> the A14 Bionic chip that's in here. I was going to mention this because- Oh my the, God, man. Uh, uh, it, when you go from seven nanometers to five nanometers, it doesn't sound like a big jump, but um, they've done that in terms of the process technology developing this chip. And um, that not only means you can cram more transistors in the same space, but your power consumption is going to be lower. Um, and, and everything moves. This is one of the reasons and why heat. I- and heat, of course. And uh, and and so I look at uh, the iPhone 12. Uh, they all use the uh, Bionic 14. Right. Um, but I look at that and I think this is the reason why I want to buy back into iPhone because they've doubled the cores for certain processing elements. They've six, vastly- six CPU cores of which um, four are high performance and two are energy saving, basically, and then four GPU cores. Uh, and the uh, uh, the AI deep learning elements have been improved vastly as well. Uh, and so what we're talking about in terms of using the LiDAR and this uh, ProRaw, all this stuff takes extra power. And this phone isn't just an evolution of the previous version. Uh, they really put as much as money could possibly buy into this processor, uh, knowing that they're going to sell oodles of them. And, and this I get processor that. is more than this phone needs, probably. When they first started doing the, the bionic level of the system on a chip in iPads, I started looking at it going, something's not right here. That is way more processor than this device needs. They're planning something. Yep. And now but, we know we know what cuz they're saying this is 50% faster than other phones on the market. They're not when when they said that it's not to the 11. It's in general 50% faster than most other phones on the market. And the point that, that I'm trying to make here is there will be technologies that really push this to its limits. Um, uh, but if I just want to take a photograph as a pro raw file and use LiDAR to advance it, that's it's over provisioned right now. And if we go to um, uh, iOS, uh, you know, 15, 16, 17, whatever it happens to be. I'm still going to be powerful enough as a device to stay relevant because this is a big leap in processing power. Yep. It's kind of a future-proofing thing. Well, now let's go to, you take these, you can edit these things on device. We'll get into video, I'm sure. But when you're looking at a screen on this thing, the specs were shocking to me. Oh, 2 yeah. million to one contrast ratio, 800 nits brightness standard regular. And for HDR, it's 1200 nits. This is, this really is. Now, again, we won't know until we see it in our hand, 
<clears throat> so this is not a review, but on paper, this is a beast of of a photographer tool. Jordan, imagine using, using Filmic the term Pro with this beast. Um, <laughs> but the the idea of uh, of this machine being uh, just a consumer device that sits in your pocket the entire time and the power that it has, I think might be transformative to at least one or two elements of photography, the casual yeah. shooter, uh, but also the person that wants to take a good photo, but their better camera in terms of light collection and technology within it, lenses and all that, uh, is nowhere to be seen, but they still want to make something magical. And I think that this is going to be a game changer in those two environments. And those Video are the too. biggest environments. Environments. Well, and video. Um, but I, I, I think that uh, Samsung and Google and anybody else that wants to really kind of uh, Sony, their Xperia phones are great, uh, you know, and they're really trying to, to gain some market share there. Um, they have a, a long road to catch up to where where I perceive the iPhone 12 to to be going. So we'll see. Uh, uh, the uh, pre-orders open up for me tomorrow, uh, and on the uh, on the regular Pro. Uh, on the regular Pro, uh, Pro Max is different then. Pro Max is uh, pre-orders are November, so it's the twelve, you know, nothing, and the twelve Pro, October sixteenth pre-orders, and the twelve Mini and the Pro Max pre-orders start November sixth. All right. Well, and and um, before you leave, I do have to say. On the video side, HDR video recording in Dolby Vision up to 60 frames per second. And an HDR display as well. And an HDR display to display this Dolby Vision with, you know, P3 color spaces, etc. Um, That's shocking. So I can imagine now just setting my, I've got a 5D Mark IV as my webcam here. I can imagine setting that thing here, shooting in Dolby Vision 60 frames a second HDR. <laughs> As a webcam, for God's sake. Yeah. Um, this is going to be when you put an app on it like Filmic Pro, which is a more pro video app. When you put an app on it like Filmic Pro and you've got LiDAR working for you on all four cameras and you've got the multi-camera view that they now have embedded into Filmic Pro, this could be a production B-roll camera, no question. Oh, wow. That's, that's a bold statement, Steve. Uh, I, I don't doubt it, but that, that is a bold prediction. Yeah, um, it'll be interesting. We'll, we'll see. Um, and talking about video and production and everything, that's a perfect segue into our next story. Um, uh, also from DP Review, many things to many people. The Panas uh, Panasonic launches the DC-BGH1 modular, quote, box camera. Um, it's it's the not box. the first... It's not the first box camera out there. Uh, it's, a, it's a methodology that's been used uh, for a lot from a lot of different manufacturers, uh, everything from GoPro to Canon and Panasonic. And uh, there's uh, a lot of high-speed cameras that take on a similar model of construction. But um, what we have here is a micro four-thirds camera um, that has a very high-quality sensor designed pretty well exclusively for video. I... I, I didn't even see if you could shoot stills with it. I'm assuming that you can, but why would you? Um, this is a video device and you can build cages around it. You can put handles on it. It's compatible with the XLR adapter. Um, it just 
fits every need for so many different people. Uh, it can genlock. It can. Uh, it's got uh, you know Wi-Fi, but you it should, also you has- should explain what genlock is for people. Which is if you're remote controlling multiple cameras, it's getting all of those cameras in sync with you. Exactly. So uh, is, especially if you're doing a multi-camera shoot and these might be different cameras, uh, even if they're the same camera, it, it can be problematic, but every one of them are following the same signal in terms of their frame rate when they're firing and everything else. And it's really important if you're in a production environment to have that all line up properly. Uh, it's got Wi-Fi. It also has Ethernet. Um, uh, in this device. And so many things to many people, um, I could see this being a, a, a production set device as a, as a B cam, but I could also see this first thing I thought when I saw that it could be controlled by the LAN. Now LAN stands for local area network. And, and I imagine that that's not just in your house. I imagine that, that there could be, and I couldn't find information on this software that would allow the camera to be controlled remotely outside of your house. Could you imagine, Steve, if you have a star guest that you need to appear on a major broadcast production, you could mail them a kit that they could set up and then you can talk them through some of the setups and the angles of the camera. But you remotely in a studio halfway around the world could control all of the camera functions and settings for the broadcast production and have that be a device that just solves all of the problems that we're seeing right now. And with people uh, do with that now with with ATEM controllers, etc. All you basically do is you send the person to Meraki or whatever that's pre-configured, it goes online, and you basically set up a VPN, and now you're all on the same network anyway, structurally, even though you're in different places. Right. There's, a, there, there's a couple things about this camera, though, that, that you didn't mention that are key. First of all, the name, DCBH, BGH1. Please Start coming up with better names. So the DC dash is the beginning of every Panasonic camera yeah. name, and we often don't even touch on that. The GH1 was their first video-centric camera, and BGH1, I guess, stands for broadcast. Box. Box, I'm thinking box. Box, box. yeah, sure, yeah. that works. But, uh, <laughs> but here's the thing. There is no viewfinder and no screen. It is purely designed clearly for video, and you hook up a, an Atomos or something like that to it. Around this box, there are 11 quarter 20 sockets, 11. So <laughs> yes, you can not only put a cage on this, but you could screw it to, to 11 things at once, which is crazy. A, a quarter 20 socket is a standard tripod screw. Right, <clears throat> right. Yeah. What shocked me was, because in the pictures, there's no point of reference. This thing is tiny. I'm rounding oh, yeah. here, but it's roughly 3.6 by three inches. It's tiny. It's got a fan. It's got heat control. It can have unlimited recording times. But that Ethernet port that you mentioned is scary important. The Ethernet, so, so this thing supports standard batteries, right, on the back. But you don't need a battery. You don't have well, to worry when you say about standard batteries, batteries. Uh, uh, Steve. I, I, I want to make sure that we mention that it's not the standard Lumix batteries. It's the kind of stuff that you would plug into the back of your uh, Atomos Ninja V, whatever. Right. Like, uh, and, and I got a whole bunch of them in various sizes. I don't remember what the standard is, but it's a standard across manufacturers. Right. But you don't need a battery. So you mentioned that you can remote control these cameras using their tethering app is basically what it is. You can control, a single PC can control 12 of these, but you got 12 cameras out there running batteries and one of them dies. You don't want that. Simple to fix. 
All you need is a switch that supports PoE, which stands for Power Over Ethernet. It's used in security cameras, access points, things like that. Uh, do, do they have that on this camera? This LAN port supports PoE. Holy cow. I mean, so, I know that they, they have a separate power plug to, to do AC. Um, I did not see that that Ethernet port can supply power to the camera. Yeah, if you if you scroll down, at least according to this article, right below the picture of the camera with the, the monitor on it and the four lenses. Power over Ethernet plus, PoE plus. It's, yeah. uh, it's right so in there. So if you use a PoE switch and you plug in 12 of these cameras... No battery needed, full remote control, and IP streaming support is coming in a further uh, firmware update. This is not minor at all. It's got BNC for SDI out. The HDMI, thank you for whoever the the you know lords of box cameras are. <laughs> HDMI port is full size, yes. and it does, which is key because if you don't have if you don't have a monitor on here, an LCD at all, and you hook up an Atomos, you want standard cables. It's full-size HDMI, and the output is 4K 10-bit. That's as good as you get, right, uh, in, in that kind of format. It's at amazing. Right now. Um, and, and by the I, way, let me add, since I mentioned that, you can simultaneously output the BNC SDI, the HDMI, and the USB-C simultaneously. Uh, we live in very amazing times, Steve. Uh, and in fact, um, an SDK, uh, they say software development kit, in case you don't know, for camera control via USB will be provided for free. A camera company that produces an SDK for that specifically to say, we don't know what you could possibly do with this device right. beyond what we've created. Teach but us. Here you go. Have that. Just yeah. have it all. <laughs> Here's uh, the downside. We got to mention a negative. First of all, it's Bluetooth. I don't know you know, what Bluetooth standard it is. I was surprised that they put Wi-Fi in here and it's only, uh, what was it, 2.4? Yeah, they didn't do five. Why? Uh, probably for reliability because five has troubles going through walls. Um, and yeah, uh, you could put in, it could be dual radio. <laughs> yeah, you could, you could. And then you, you let the production company decide which one to use based on the throughput. That's that. Um, and we should mention the cost, right? This camera, for all of its bells and whistles and dongles and, and beauty, um, $1999.99 US, a penny less $2, than $2,000. Um, so it's not a cheap piece of equipment. Uh, but See, I see that for what it is. Now, again, it's a box format. I'm not sure anybody wants a box camera, but... For what it is, I don't see 2000 as bad. I mean, now, again, one thing we didn't mention that I recall is it's only 10.2 megapixels, but that doesn't matter. Well, because it's, it's, it's not a still camera. It's yeah. designed around video, right? One thought I had, though, with, with what this thing's doing. So it'll do DCI 4K 60 10-bit 4.2 and DCI uh, 4K 30 at 4.22 10-bit. But all it has, it doesn't have CFast cards or anything. It's dual SD slots. Does that seem odd to you? No, because video the, the throughput for video is actually much less than the throughput for stills. And uh, the, the bandwidth... 4K that, 60, 10 yeah, bit. Yeah, it, uh, well, it, if it's encoded properly, that is far, far less than a burst of still images. You won't You won't saturate that at all, especially with okay. the speed of SD cards on the market today. Um, that is more than enough for what this device is. It doesn't need more. Um, that would be over-provisioning, which just isn't needed for the tech that's going to be static. Did you here. see the dynamic range number? 
Uh, what was it? Was it 13 stops, 13 stops. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's really good. Um, it's not great. Well, but it's good. I mean, it, it's, it, I, I would say for video, uh, especially a camera designed around video that that is pretty good. Um, but it's something of a camera that we've opined on for a fairly long period of time that we're never going to own. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I might actually get one and replace my webcam with, um, but that's not this year. Uh, th- that might be when I can find one uh, used or, uh, and it would function as like the most supreme webcam I could ever have uh, for a decade and a half. Uh, there's no question about that. And so th- th- these cameras will have a very, very long life. They will get a cult following, I believe, which kind of leads me into my next story. Before you do that, there's one other thing I thought was interesting. Come on, I, I made a perfect that, segue. I don't, I don't know. I know. I'm sorry. I don't know that you and I would use this, but it supports anamorphic lenses and it will even do de-squeezed output. Well, it would have to. Well, I guess you could de-squeeze it on the other yeah, end. Yeah, de-squeeze it in post. Right. But, but if there's no post, like if it's going straight to a live stream, then it would be much more difficult to de-squeeze it at that point. And right? you would see the de-squeeze on your, anamor- on your Atomos. And I, I thought that was key because a lot of people want to use anamorphic lenses, but don't want to put the work in right. after the fact. So I, yeah. that's key. Sorry, I messed yeah. up your segue. Uh, no, it's all right. The, uh, uh, the, the, the sort of the, the cult status that certain things receive over time, I think that camera might receive it. Um, but Leica has been one to uh, receive this cult status for all of the amazing refined work that they do uh, in uh, their M-series rangefinders. I've got a Leica 3C uh, as well, and I've got some uh, obscure Leica equipment of my own. Um, but uh, via Petapixel, uh, the title is, This Leica Rifle is Expected to Sell for $250,000 at Lights Photographica. Uh, but that's not all that is for sale. Um, Leica's been a weird company. They've made tons of prototype equipment that never makes it to market or some that just doesn't find the right market and they only manufacture a handful of them. And uh, so this is an article that details some of these... Op- uh, these uh, oof, interesting items that are up for sale. They mentioned the gun rifle. Uh, it's kind of redundant. We'll call it a rifle camera. Um, that uh, it, it reminds me of the cameras that the, uh, that the Japanese uh, used in World War II to train their fighter pilots, which were cameras on the ends of rifles designed to be mounted to aircraft. And that the viewfinder. Uh, and the resulting images of those would tell if the uh, if the gunner was actually accurate in where they were shooting, shooting photographs rather than bullets. Um, Leica made a gun camera as well. Oh, they made multiple, and there's a few of them in this article. What, what do you think about these anachronisms of Photographica? So, first of all, the the Lights Photographica auction, just so that everybody knows if you want to go buy something, it's the 37th one. It's November 21st, 2020. Get your checkbooks ready. Uh, yeah, because I think the cheapest uh, price here is 60,000 euro. Yeah, it's whew, wow. The the Leica gun rifle thing is a weird looking thing. It's even got the original case with it. And this thing is old. So it was introduced to the public in 1930. It was actually designed by a wildlife photographer. And in um, 1937, it says here. Well, it was actually designed in 36 and 37, introduced to the public in 38, and was produced right. for one year from 38 to 39. And there were only, this is what's really weird to me that nobody knows. 
One person says there were only six produced. Somebody else says that there were 12 produced. And now they're saying, we believe that there's 10 to 15 or something like that. 12 to 14, but yeah. 12 to 14, yeah. So put it this way, it's rare, right? This would be really cool to own. There's other stuff in here in this thing I almost think would be cooler because I don't know how you cleanly display. I guess you put it on a rifle rack. I mean, because <laughs> yeah. if you collect this and you pay no, 250000 and by the way- build its own display around it. Will, it. You, That's right. what you, you do. Custom build glass around it. it. The actual starting bid is only 100000 yeah, only a hundred thousand uh, dollars. Whereas two fifty is what they expect, right? Uh, but and they had another pistol camera, which I thought was a really unique design because the rifle camera just basically looks like a standard camera with a weird viewfinder. Which I'd love to see an optical diagram of how that thing works. Go check out that article to see this long tube of a viewfinder. It's uh, wild. Uh, to, and yeah, you will find the links of course at, uh, photogeekweekly.com, uh, to take a look at that, but their pistol camera that does look like a, a firearm, like, and that's, like, that's not, um, uh, what am I thinking of? That's not Leica. Uh, no, well it, uh, so that's, no, that's it's a you one, uh, pistol camera. And so that's a, from a different company. Never uh, you made. are right. Um, never made, you said? Never went into production. It's a 1952 prototype, and it is in original condition with a leather holster, and it works. And it works. That That's the key, right? Because if I end up getting a camera like this, I wouldn't want to use it anywhere outside of my own backyard uh, right. because I would be shot by somebody with a real gun. But because it, it, it looks very, very much like a weapon, um, but it's got a, uh, a scope that is the whole top part and the bottom part where you'd normally associate a, uh, a gun barrel to be uh, hits into a very small film canister area. And I'm sure it's got all of the mechanics, as you say, it's working to make that function. Cameras like this. I don't think they should have ever been made. And that's probably why it never went into production. But I am so glad that I can look at a picture of this thing and say, imagine what would happen if, uh, you know, a small contingent of photographers across the world owned one. Or uh, imagine it in that day, right? Put, put, it, put yourself in 1952 or the one lens, the, the Voigtlander. Oh, that is a beauty, a weird, the, one of the weirdest lenses it that I've ever seen. It looks like the top of a mortar. Uh, the, the, the Voigtlander daguerreotype camera lens. Um, and, uh, and so this was introduced between 1812 and 1868. Um, they actually don't say lens. They say it's a camera. Well, you know, because Steve, the, the cameras at the time uh, were lenses attached to boxes. And, oh, and yeah, so, okay, makes, makes sense. Right, so the, I, I think that's what it means, but but I've also never seen a lens that bulges out to a point midsection and then shrinks back down again on the other side. That's a design I've never seen, and maybe I'm just not schooled in these old optics introduced in 1840. Uh, it's a 1840. F3.7 uh, an F3.7 Petzval lens, and... Uh, and so it says the focusing screen is positioned on the widest part of the camera and a magnifying glass on the shorter of the two cones. Ah, that's what it is. I wish I would have read this before. So the widest part is where the focusing screen is. And the shortest part is a magnifying glass that lets you look right. through it like a viewfinder. So this is technically a camera. I wouldn't want to handhold it. And it doesn't look like there's any mounts to attach it to anything. Um, but wow, what a weird 
construction of a device. Two hundred to three hundred thousand dollars is what they expect for this. If thing. I had uh like a billion dollars, I'd buy everything in this auction. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. This thing, there's only they made six hundred of these Voigtlanders. There's only ten known to be left today, and this thing is original condition, unrestored. It most of the stuff in this auction is like this. It's super old. There was one thing I saw that was designed in 2012. Ah, is this that Leica um, Vario Elmar M? Yes. So this is really interesting. 28 because to 75. Leica had made the Tri-Elmar lens, which uh, was a uh, basically a three primes in one kind of design where you would have a 28, a 35, and a 50 millimeter lens, but you couldn't zoom between them. It was a hard stop. You'd go from 28 to 35, um, and then 28 to 50, uh, and so on and so forth. And so it wasn't the standard type of zoom lens that you might imagine. And so this it was designed to replace the 28-35-50 as a universal lens, except it went from 28 to 75. So it extended the range and it was a fluidic zoom between them all. Their production standards were so high and the design was so complex. <laughs> they only got three models three. that passed muster. And then they stopped. 2012, they went, yeah. I mean, I, I can see the table meeting in two, 2012, you designed it. Everybody goes, oh, cool, let's make it. They outsource it to Japan and none of them match the, you know, pass the muster. And finally in 2015, they're like, let's cut our losses on this nightmare. Yeah. Three uh, of them. And so there's three of them. I don't even know how these three end up in private hands because this isn't like That's some vintage question. thing from decades ago. Uh, I, I don't think know they'd if they'd all like- be in a Leica case at Leica. Well, you would imagine, or maybe they did say, okay, well, let's cut our losses, but maybe sell them off to the highest bidder. And now that highest bidder is selling it off again. Uh, that might've been a sensible business model. Anyhow, check out this link on Petapixel. There's a bunch of really old, fun camera equipment yeah. that, um, that, that honestly, if it didn't come across my radar, like right now, I would have never known it had ever existed. And I am not of a wealth bracket to afford any of this. The most expensive lens I own actually is a Leica. It's a Leica Stemar. Uh, it is a 33 millimeter stereoscopic uh, lens that has two lenses inside the same barrel. And it was designed for the Leica L mount. And I can mount that on my, uh, or the Leica M mount. I can mount it on the L mount with an adapter now. And, uh, I, I consider that kind of an investment because you see things like that. They're not going down in price. If this is any indication, um, that's an investment to keep things going forward. So, um, well, and let's talk about keeping things going forward, Steve, because 2020 has been a crazy year. Um, and it's been hurtful for a lot of photographers. You know, I, I haven't really found my groove artistically in a good chunk of this year. It comes in waves. I will admit that I have some moments of inspiration, but it's not as solid as it was previously. Professionally, I've had to cancel workshops and seminars and conferences and uh, in-person visits from a lot of people that were really excited to come and, and get some in-person uh, tutelage here in my studio. That's not happening this year, that's for sure. And mentally, man, it's been a stressful year. And I think a lot of us are dealing with some mental health issues of one type or of another, not seeing your family or friends as much as you'd like. And, uh, and of course, wondering where the bills uh, or how the bills are going to be paid. Um, how has 2020 affected you? Wow. So this is 
It's an article on F-stoppers, by the way. How has uh, right. COVID-19 affected you as a photographer? Written by Robert K. Baggs. And I've got to say that that Mr. Baggs, there's a couple things in this article that I, that I really like. Starting with the featured image that he used, which is a shot of co- what appear to be colored lights and white lights out on a street through a rainy window where the rain is in focus and everything else is blurry. And that, you know, 20... 2020 has been the year of somebody saying, wow, can't get any worse than this. And 2020 says, hold my beer, right? <laughs> yeah. it, it It is the weirdest year. But what I like what he did here is <clears throat> he approached the idea of how has COVID affected you as a photographer on three basic subjects, professionally, artistically, and mentally. And those three are so interconnected, right? If the mentality goes off, your artistic nature doesn't necessarily diminish, but might change and give you different end results. Your business suffering may not diminish your artistic output, but it will most likely color what that output is. So I I, I like the topics that he chose here. And for me, this is kind of a difficult one. I, I photograph live music. One of the first things to die in 2020 was the entertainment industry. Yes, movie theaters. Yes, restaurants. Unless you're the chain smokers. <clears throat> yes. And there are bands, you know, that that played, what you call it, in South Dakota with all the bikers. Sturgis. Um, Great White, I think, was one of them, actually. But, Which I do not condone. I don't want to be political about it. I just want to be health science about it. And I don't think that was a smart move. I don't think it was a smart move, especially since the the governor and the mayor there said masks are optional, right? If, if you do it social distancing and you do it responsibly, okay. Like they're doing concerts now in drive-ins where you sit in your car and you see the band on the screen. That's okay. Yeah, that's but acceptable. in general, the entertainment industry, concert venues, bands, touring crews, managers, Bartenders, ticket takers, door people, stage crew, roadies has been decimated. And for me, I don't make my living on it. It's not my what the only thing I rely on, but it has affected me weirdly. And I don't know if any other photographers have this, but for me, I mentioned at the beginning of the show. When people say to me, what do you do for a living? My my joke answer almost every time is it depends what day you hit me. But there are things that I do, and I think most people are the same way, that are my identity. I have been in radio for 40 years, and I only do it part-time now because there's just no money in radio when you're an adult with a family, unless you're major market full-time. I'm lucky to still keep my hand in it. I will keep my hand in it forever. And part of my self identity and self-worth is that I get to go talk on the radio. That's still after 40 years, I get a kick out of it every time. Well, I'm a music photographer and there's no shows for me to go shoot. And part of my identity in the photography space as a photographer, my personal identity is greatly tied to being in a photo pit and creating art and capturing moments of bands So without shows, for me personally, there's been a mental loss. That's the biggest thing. But creativity-wise, I've gone back to old shots that when you pull them up in Lightroom, still show the Lightroom Engine 2 instead of the current (laughs) one, 5. And re-editing those keeps you fresh. 
it's a lesson in change. So there are ways to deal with it. Yeah. And I, I think that you're right that all three of these things are interconnected. I, I can only be truly creative when I've got a happy vibe going on. And sometimes that just happens when I wake up in the morning and I read some happy news. Uh, that hasn't happened a lot lately. But if lately. you were a songwriter, well, depression I mean, you could, helps. Well, this is true. And, you know, my, my wife is a wonderful abstract painter. And if she paints uh, when she's happy, it's one result. When she paints when she's sad, it's an entirely different result. The creativity just forms itself right. around that. And and for me, though, I, I have to have the joy in my soul to tinker and experiment and ask what if. And I just don't have that problem solving mentality going on, which is a different thought process and a different creative process. It's hard to get into the groove of that and feel uh, feel the energy there. Uh, so, you know, when everything around me is so depressing, I I end up, you know, looking at things. Okay, well, what's going to make me happy? Uh, well, spending time with family makes me happy, and it's been needed yep. in the last little while, especially my daughter in virtual uh, kindergarten. And uh, you know, there was a week where my wife worked uh, four shifts in a row, uh, twelve-hour shifts, but in another city. So it's really like fourteen to fifteen hours that she's away from home. And so I'm dawn to dusk, daddy daycare, uh, and uh, I'm. I enjoy it. I mean, yeah, I got to prepare all the meals and yeah, I'm cleaning the dishes, cleaning the floors. I made the house spotless a couple of times when, when my wife came home and it was just a wonderful experience. It was hard work and I wasn't necessarily happy when I was doing it. Um, but I got to, exp- I, I've been experimenting, uh, experimenting so much this year with cooking. I have become, uh, my wife too. Uh, a, a really enthusiastic, uh, I don't want to call myself a chef, but a wannabe in, in that area. I bought a wok to make some stir fries Ooh. Um, and, uh, you know, all sorts of different culinary expositions. Uh, I made, and it's not a difficult thing to do. I made uh, chicken wings for the first time today. My wife and I always would, would go out and we would take some time for ourselves and we would have chicken wings and uh, and a beer at a local pub around the corner and they haven't i don't think that they're open anymore and i don't think that they will reopen um but uh i thought okay well i can do that here i can make my own sauces and rubs and i did that today and and that was sort of my artistic endeavor today of, of some sort but i do get inspired by other photographers still this year and, uh, you know, I was a part of a, um, a master's of photography conference that was put on by Jackie Kramer recently. And, uh, there was a photographer there, uh, Mo Devlin, who did some frozen flower stuff that I thought was really cool, really inspiring. Uh, and I thought I might try to experiment a bit with that. I've had some successes and some colossal failures, and I'm going to keep doing more of that just because when you stick something in your freezer overnight and you wake up in the morning. Uh, and you got a reason to like leap out of bed and just go and see how that experiment worked. And yeah, it didn't work, but I got some ideas how to make it better and you go right to task on it. So, um, you know, you have to kind of find your way around that, uh, professionally, I have had to pivot. I'm I'm about to do some workshops. I think they're all filled up right now, uh, with Princeton photo workshop who I've worked with for five years, I think just wrapped up another couple of workshops. We're doing some remote uh, water droplet and remote ultraviolet photography workshops. But if I don't know what you have in front of you in terms of lighting and staging equipment, I can't help you. Right. So uh, we went out and we bought all of the equipment needed to equip everybody with the right gear to make those workshops happen. And we're mailing it to them all. Uh, Like ultraviolet and regular LED flashlights. Setting the bar high. And well, I mean, 
were still charging the same rate as if they were there in person. They just get all this gear to keep at the end and they're doing it remotely, which is a less engaging environment, but you've got the equipment at the end of it to keep, uh, you know, so um, yeah, it, it hurts my profits in that sense, but I'm still keeping those workshops going. I don't, I don't know when I'm going to, I don't even want to list 2021 in-person workshops right now because it's so uncertain. Um, and so while I can pivot, some people can't. If you're a wedding photographer, I mean, right. what, what are you going to be doing right now? I mean, a, a are, good friend of mine, a mutual friend of yours, actually, just I texted him when we were on the trip, a, a photo, I was at Morro Bay or something. And his response was, uh, I'm shooting my fourth wedding of the year. It's October. Yeah. You know, it's things have changed. My wife did the same thing, by the way. She's gotten really into cooking, found a great recipe and then tweaked it a little bit and has made her own veggie patties from scratch. Um, there are things that you can definitely do out there. The main well, thing I, is I made ravioli from scratch, Steve. Ooh, I mean, I, I made like the that. pasta dough and then I rolled it and then I made the filling from scratch and then I squeezed it in between with the little stampy thing and then I stampy. cooked that and then I also had a sauce going that goes on top. That was like a seven hour job. I'm not making ravioli again, but I can I say think, I've done I, it. I think in Italian it's called stampy thinga. Yeah. Okay. There you go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I. It's the main. The main takeaway for me is everybody is experiencing something that I don't think any of us expected, but we can talk about it, and that I think is going to be key. Is talk about it, right? Communication to me is key in everything. So pull a family member aside or somebody that you trust. And if you're, if you're having issues, if you're depressed, if you're just trying to reach out to somebody that might mentor you and go, you know what, try shooting this. Hey, you know what? If you, if you're feeling sad, you need somebody to pick you up, reach out to me and Steve. You know, if somebody sends me a sad email, I'm going to respond. Obviously, And I'll, I'll give you an exercise right now. Take your camera. If you just want to go shooting, take your camera to a parking lot. An empty parking lot, and try and make ten great pictures. What? Well, try to make ten unique pictures. Let's not, you know, give delusions of grandeur here. Yes. yes. Uh, <laughs> aim for aim for excellence, not perfection. Right, and and so in in that sense, uh, just kind of force yourself to start it. And and I remember um, there was a uh, it was actually a gift for my wife that I bought uh, for Christmas in 2019 before all the craziness of 2020 happened, and. Uh, you know, I, I uh, you know what? I'm going to make this my pick of the week, uh, and okay. and I I'm going to change my pick from what I had uh, thought of before. But we're, we're going to run into the picks of the week now at this point. Um, but uh, actually, before we do, Steve, uh, I I got to uh, plug you. Uh, where can people find you behind the shot and the stuff that you're up to? So behind the shot, the normal podcast, which is where I have a photographer on one photographer with one photo. And the idea behind it is to better understand a photographer's mentality and workflow, how they, you know, why do they make the choices that they do in making one particular photograph? Like one that I just had on is the amazing Joel Grimes. And that episode went almost a half an hour, probably longer, 20 minutes longer than I would normally go just because it was like, please keep talking. It was that good. Um, that's at BehindTheShot.tv. You and I do the critique shows. We do those once a month right now. We just did one. Just did one right before we recorded this. And those are only on my YouTube channel at Behind the Shot. So you can go up there. If you subscribe there, please make sure that you hit the bell because otherwise you won't know when we're doing something. It's the weirdest thing. Um, 
And then for me personally, the, the, the place I spend most of my time is Twitter. I love Twitter. It's at Steve Brazel, same as the country Brazil, but two L's. And it's the same on Instagram. And then the podcast is Behind the Shot TV, at Behind the Shot TV on both Twitter and Instagram. All right. Thank you for that, Steve. And I hope everybody checks that content out. It's wonderful. And Steve is a great human being uh, and is very knowledgeable of so many things. Pick his brain whenever you can. Um, and so uh, to, to my pick of the week, it was a Christmas gift for my wife, uh, you know, last year. And it was something that really, we, we watched it again recently. It was, uh, there's a website called Cameo, uh, C-A-M-E-O dot com. And um, you can basically hire a celebrity, uh, whether it's Gilbert Gottfried or LeVar Burton. I don't know if LeVar is still on there, but he was at a time. I'm sure Gilbert's always going to be there because he's that kind of guy. But there's... Uh, there's like a thousand celebrities, everything from sports, like athletes or TV stars, musicians, and YouTubers, whatever. Um, there's a bunch of people uh, from that. I know uh, you and me, Steve, we're both uh, you know, Star Trek fans. There is a whole host of Star Trek cast yep. uh, that are on there. And it's really encouraging. And I may maybe you want to hire one of them because what they do is you can hire them to record a video for you. A couple of minutes, uh, like a minute to maybe more. And, uh, and so you can get some inspiration. You can buy that as a gift for somebody to say, you know, somebody absolutely adores a particular musician or actor or whatever. Um, they might be on cameo and, uh, I, I can't remember what I paid for mine, but it was, uh, to hire John Noble. Uh, you might be familiar with him as the character Denethor from Lord of the Rings. For me, it was uh, at first um, Walter Bishop from the TV show Fringe, Love which he did amazing at that job. And then he later uh, played um, uh, Sherlock Holmes's dad in Elementary, and and he did great at that too. But yep. I hired him to give a word of inspiration to my wife to inspire her to make some paintings because you know you, you need sometimes you need a just a push right to be creative and that brings us back to what we were talking about in the last story and and i asked him for that and it struck a chord with him i think and he recorded a very long video a very emotional and he was quoting stuff from his own children to be inspiring and just it was beautiful it was stunning and it was so inspirational to see somebody that I looked up to as an actor uh, that had performed very well in shows that I had quite enjoyed that had a message of inspiration and hope uh, for for my wife and, and for me too. And so that's my pick of the week is Cameo because um, somebody around you probably needs a pick-me-up and they probably have a fan in the celebrity space that might be on there. Just share the good wealth and the good health that comes from smiles and laughter that can repeat when you hit replay. And I will add, I've gone and looked at Cameo, and trust me, you will find somebody. The list of people that are on Cameo was somewhat shocking how deep it is but in, in genre from musician to actor to whatever, but also in a particular genre of actor, singer, whatever, um, there's a ton of people up there. My pick is from the people over at Filmic. So Filmic does the app Filmic Pro, which is a pro-level video app for iOS and Android as well. And they also do the Double Take app, which allows you, for example, to record from multiple cameras on an iOS device all at the same time 
picture in picture, side by side, that type of a thing. And they have a new app for both iOS and Android called First Light. So it's Filmic First Light. They're up to version two right now. You can get it in the app store. It's $8. This is like many apps. It lets you utilize your, rather than the built-in camera app that comes with iOS, which does not let you shoot raw. I'm using iOS as the example, but again, it's in the Google Play Store too. It lets you shoot raw, JPEG, HEIC, and TIFF. It has focus peaking. It has iOS and shutter priority modes. It has zebra stripes for exposure. You drag either vertical or horizontal based on whether you want to adjust the focus. And if you're dragging the focus, you see the focus items turn green or drag to adjust the exposure. And they have film emulations and effects. So you can add grain, you can add vignettes. And for film emulations or simulations, as they call them, you've got C41, And on each of these, like on the C41, there's four different effects. On the Chrome filter set, there's four different effects. Black and white filter set, you've got four. Insta, you've got four. And infrared, you've got four. And then lastly, there is a print filter set that simulates different types of printing, Sinotype or, or, you know, whatever the case might be. Um, It's a cool app for eight bucks. And it's from the people that I just think do so many things right. Uh, and I'm looking it up right now, and and they, they've been doing so many awesome things. They, um, when they came out with the Double Take app, and they demoed it at an Apple event, and showed recording on four cameras at once, meaning the Tele, the Wide, the Zoom, I'm sorry, the Tele, the Wide, the Ultra Wide, and the Selfie Camera, all at once. You know, I've actually played with it where I put the Ultra Wide camera on, and then I put the Selfie Camera on as a picture-in-picture and record them both at once. It's amazing what Filmic's doing. It's all at filmicpro.com. Awesome. Awesome. To follow up, I just uh, clued in on uh, Cameo. If you are a Battlestar Galactica fan, you got Katie Sackoff that you can, uh, um, you know, Starbuck to uh, to record you a message. Uh, LeVar Burton is still there. So is uh, Gates McFadden. And uh, uh, who else do we have here? Oh, Jonathan Del Arco. He plays Hugh, the Borg. And he, you can get you can get Hugh, the Borg guy, uh, to uh, to give you a recording for 60 bucks, right? Of course, yep. Jerry Ryan, who played Seven of Nine, she's orders of magnitude higher. Uh, but, you know, Denise Crosby, Jonathan Frakes, you want number one himself to record you a message. Uh, that is a birthday gift well received. So, yeah, that's uh, it's just fun to see all of these family uh, or uh, familiar faces, familiar faces. Um, that, uh, that I can have a, I can't have a conversation with, but they can talk to me. I got to yep. pay for it, mind you, but I'm so glad that something like that exists. And yep. Um, uh, lighten somebody's day with that or with whatever Filmic Pro is coming out with next, because I can assure you when they get their hands on Apple Pro Raw, they're going to come oh. up with something magical. It's going to be awesome. They're, it's they're, the, be awesome. they are again, Filmic Pro being the best example Video app wise, it's got a built in limiter for audio. So like I was recording my son's band one time in a club and I did two different songs as a test. I did one of them with the built in camera app. I did one of them with Filmic Pro with the limiter turned on and the Filmic Pro one sounded great. The other one was just completely clipped because you're loud music. Right. Um, 
right? Yeah. And they they, uh, they they know their business and they do it well. And uh, for everybody listening, I want to say thanks because we're like, what, an hour and 10 minutes into this thing. Uh, I don't want to abuse anybody's time, but if you've been through it this long, thank you for being here. Thank you, Steve, for being my guest again on this episode. Next week, we will have Jordan Drake on to talk about Ooh. a lot of additional Who was our guest on the Critique Show? Yeah, exactly. So we're just kind of swapping seats here a little bit. Um, and uh, an amazing uh, commenter on technology and an artist in his own right. And he's had access to some of the latest and greatest cameras that have just been announced this week. So that'll be next week uh, when I have him on. And until then, everybody, stay safe out there and stay in and shoot. Music.